Welcome to The Long Box of Darkness, a podcast exploring horror in comics, films, and fiction. I'm your host, Herman Lowe. Join me as we take a look inside The Long Box of Darkness. Hey there, constant listeners. This is Herm, your go-to guide for everything creepy, kooky, and uh, what's that line again? I think it's altogether spooky. <laughs> We're going to plagiarize the Adams Family a bit here. And uh, thank you for tuning into the Long Box of Darkness podcast once again. Trust me, today you're in for a real treat. No tricks, I promise, even though we're getting closer and closer to Halloween. So what's on the menu for today's spine-tingling episode? Well, as you know, this is episode five of season two. And today we're diving deep into the shadows to unmask some of the most terrifying characters to ever haunt the comic book medium. Yeah, you heard that right. We're serving up a blog post that I recently published on The Long Box of Darkness, where I looked at the 10 most frightening figures in comic books. And that is for our first segment called It Came from the Long Box. All right. Later on, we'll commence with our second segment where we talk about film. And then finally, we'll close it out with our weird fiction uh, segment. But for now, let's talk comics. So, uh, part one, it came from the long box. It's time to get into the nitty gritty here. The 10 most terrifying characters in comics. Now, these are the characters that made me double-check the locks at night, and uh, maybe even keep a little nightlight on or two. So um, if you have any of your own characters that you think that I should have added to the list, list, some of your own favorites, don't hesitate to comment in this post feed or to go to the blog at darklongbox.com and let me know your thoughts. There will be a podcast addendum uh, post that uh, will summarize everything we talked about during this episode. So let's get into the list. All right, so first up, we're counting down from 10 to one. And my number 10 is a character from Vertigo, Scott Snyder and Raphael Albuquerque's Skinner Sweet from the series American Vampire. So Skinner, uh, he's a cowboy vamp but he kind of defies all vampire stereotypes. He's what you would expect from a vampire, ruthless, charismatic, uh, but he's absolutely horrifying, way scarier than any other vampiric character I can think of. Um, created by Scott Snyder, as I mentioned, and the artist Raphael Albuquerque. The way that he is rendered on the page is truly terrifying. If any of you know Raphael Albuquerque's art, you know what I'm talking about. If not, check that uh, podcast addendum post that I have on the blog and you'll see what I mean. So Skinner as a vampire, he's stronger, faster, immune to sunlight. He's the next breed of vampire, if you can put it like that. He, he's evolved. Uh, he's an American vampire where he's actually fueled by sunlight. 
Uh, he can't be hurt by traditional means. Silver, garlic, the cross, that doesn't work on him. Uh, gold does seem to have an effect on him, but it's not fatal. And the only other weakness he has is that once in once a month, I think it is, that he becomes paralyzed during the full moon. Um, and that, that's the only time that he's vulnerable. So um, his character kind of challenges conventional vampire lore. He injects this savage Wild West brutality into the horror genre a bit. And uh, he practices remorseless violence. He's very rebellious. And the main reason why I added him to this list is because of his, uh, the, his transformation, the transformative state that he's in when he, when he becomes his vampire self. He's got this elongated jaw, these gigantic fangs, and these long, wicked-looking nails, these talons, really. Truly, truly a scary sight to behold. Don't let your kids see this, folks. They'll have nightmares forever. So that's Skinner Sweet. Right, now, not to waste any time, let's get to number nine on the list. And he is Mr. Dark. Okay, Mr. Dark from Fables, created by... Bill Willingham, and uh, of course, a horrifying embodiment of evil. Evil. Uh, the artist that was renowned for drawing him was Mark Buckingham, and he did a really good job rendering Mr. Dark. Now, this character embodies a slow, creeping kind of terror. It's, it's as psychological as it is physical, I would say. And um, he's also merciless. He has vast power. It includes manipulating shadows, draining life forces, that kind of thing, binding souls. And uh, if you've read fables, you'd know that this is not your average fairy tale comic. <laughs> they really go all out in pushing the horror element to the fore. And um, Mr. Dark appears as this thin, shadowy figure. He's got these cold, piercing eyes. Really evokes a sense of dread when you look at him. And um, he's malevolent. His intent is, of course, to conquer, to destroy. And coupled with that, he has this seemingly invincible dark magic. So horrifying. When you read it, you'll see what I mean, listeners. And the images will definitely support my claim that he's worthy of being on this list. All right, let's get to number eight. A familiar character to most of you, but you might argue that you might argue with me and say, why have I included him so, you know, low on the list? Or should I say high up on the list since we're counting down here at number eight? Uh, but I hope my comments justify my reasons. This is Dr. William Gull, a.k.a. Jack the Ripper from Alan Moore's From Hell comics. Now, this is the fictional rendition, of course, of Jack the Ripper. Um, his gruesome acts are grounded in a terrifyingly analytical mind and uh, of course created by Alan and Eddie Campbell um, and brilliantly drawn by Eddie as well. So his terror stems from the terror you feel when you when you read him stems from this uh, methodical brutality that he exhibits, uh, this cold intellectualism and uh, he obviously uses that to commit heinous ritualistic murder <laughs> and uh he sort of represents a dark exploration of victorian era themes uh, a lot of socio-political themes i would say 
There's a lot of misogyny and classism thrown in there for good measure. Now, of course, being a doctor, his surgical skill and uh, chilling philosophical justifications for his murderous spree, that obviously points to a very disturbed mind. And you'll see snippets of his childhood when reading From Hell, where you are really frightened by uh, the signs of... uh, just psychopathic tendencies he's displaying. And of course, the trail of grotesque murders he left uh, instills this lingering dread. So he's arguably even more um, frightening than the actual Ripper because of uh, the graphic nature of Eddie Campbell and Alan Moore's storytelling. So that's it. Number eight on the list, Dr. William Gull. Now let's get to number seven. Also an Alan Moore written character or not created by Alan. And uh, this is the always terrifying Kid Miracle Man from the Miracle Man comics. So um, this is from the series that Alan Moore and Gary Leach created, published at first over uh, by Warrior Press, at Warrior Press. And uh, eventually the most frightening part of the Kid Miracle Man uh, saga was drawn in the Miracle Man series by the great John Totalbin from Swamp Thing fame. And um, Kid Miracle Man, originally the sidekick of the character Miracle Man, who used to be Marvel Man from the 1950s British comics, very much based off of the on the Marvel family over from Fawcett Comics, uh, Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr. Kid Miracle Man was part of the Miracle Man family. They said the word Kimota, which is atomic, spelled backwards, and then they would transform from ordinary humans into these superpowered beings. Their power arguably rivals that of Captain Marvel and his family, even that of Superman. So a masterstroke of horror happened when Alan Moore got a hold of this character and started portraying him as this corrupt, malevolent uh, force of sadistic cruelty. Um, Kid Miracle Man, in the absence of of his mentor, Miracle Man, had changed into this um, this horrifying character who commits murder for fun, and he's got the powers of Superman to back him up. So unfettered, he could do some real damage, and he in fact does. There's this protracted scene where he brutalizes London and commits these atrocities stringing people up with barbed wire, severing arms and legs, letting kids wander the streets while their mothers are, you know, uh, walking like zombies, uh, horribly maimed, uh, following this trail of blood, uh, cars getting thrown up into the sky and uh, crashing down with uh, passengers and families inside them. Just utter devastation. It's, It's horrific. So he has to be on the list. In fact, he could have been even higher up now that I think about it. Kid Miracle Man. Just read the Miracle Man series if you haven't yet. You'll be scared out of your wits. And then we get to number six on the list. One of my favorites, but uh, he's often, well, I think more can be done with him to make him even scarier. But what has been done has been pretty terrifying so far. And this is Judge Death from the 2080 comics. Judge Death, the enemy of... Judge Dredd, of course, Judge Death, an interdimensional being from a universe where life is a crime, and he is the judge that dispenses punishment for those who are still living. 
And at one point in time, in fact, they, he and his cronies, Judge Fear, Mortis, and Fire, invaded Mega City One when Dread was absent, and they commenced slaughtering the population. And I think they made it halfway through the entire 800 million strong population of Mega City One. So pretty scary, pretty brutal. This zombie-like judge. So uh, he's skeletal. He has this ghastly appearance, of course, created by John Wagner and artist Brian Bolland. So you know you're in for a treat there uh, on the art side. And um, he's got this unyielding desire to just eradicate all life. So this juxtaposition with judicial duty and merciless killing, (laughs) it kind of showcases this nightmarish perversion of justice, which uh, is truly terrifying when you see that you know, happening in the 2080 comics of my youth. And then at number five, uh, well, you all might know that I'm a huge Doctor Strange fan. He's one of my favorite comic book characters right up there with the Swamp Thing. Uh, Definitely my favorite Marvel character by far. And this is one of his villains, a truly terrifying Lovecraftian entity that you all might know and you might love. And that is Shumagorath. He's my number five on this list. Ashuma Gorath, uh, a ruler hailing from an alternate dimension, the Cancerverse, in fact, is this uh, giant eyeball with myriad tentacles streaming out um, from his eyeball-shaped body. Um, Like I say, very Lovecraftian-like, Cthulhu-ish. He's ancient, of course. Uh, He's a symbol of chaos in the Marvel Universe. We briefly saw him in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, the the film, Uh, although there he was billed as Gargantos. But he's the giant tentacle thing that essentially ripped apart the bus and attacked people in in, uh, New York. So, a scary visual. Um, He evokes fear, obviously personifies the unknown, the inscrutable, uh, which Lovecraft so liked, liked to play with. And um, he's also got magic and a wicked intelligence to boot. Uh, Always scared me ever since I was a kid, ever since I read him the first time. So Shumagorath, worthy of being on the list, I'm sure you'd all agree. And then we get to uh, number four. And this is from the Sandman universe, created by Neil Gaiman. And he is the Corinthian. The Corinthian is a character that uh, lots of folks know because he recently showed up on the Sandman TV show, the TV series on Netflix. And um, he's a serial killer type character, although he's a nightmare. Uh, And he has these eyes that are little mouths (laughs) with which he loves to pop and eat eyeballs, the eyeballs of his victims. So... um, this he's got this appetite for horror and he's a sadistic murderer cannibal he derives pleasure from the fear and pain of his victims really the quintessential fictional serial killer even scarier than dr william gull i would say Uh, but he's also sophisticated he can be charming but that merely masks a grotesque malevolent nature um his true form once you realize what it really is, becomes all the more horrifying. Once he takes off his shades, you see what he truly looks like. 
So his very existence sort of challenges the boundaries between the dream world in the realm of the Sandman and reality. Uh, so it's a pretty disturbing facet of the unconscious mind as presented by that DC Comics uh, series. So uh, Neil Gaiman, always, Gaiman, always good for delivering up a scare or two. Then we get to number three on the list from the Walking Dead series of comics, The Governor. Now, many of you might question, why did I include The Governor? Why didn't I go for Negan? I mean, Negan is a very likable villain. This guy, The Government... The governor is twisted and just reprehensible, and that's why I put him on this list. So, real name, Philip Blake. Uh, he's uh, sort of a ruler of this, this compound in the post-apocalypse, uh, post-apocalyptic world of The Walking Dead. Um, he uh, is, at first, he personifies civilized leadership in this uh, area called Woodbury, but in fact, it's soon revealed that he's this monstrous, power-hungry uh, tyrant. So he inflicts brutal punishment on his constituents, uh, sexual violence, uh, psychological torment. Um, he, in fact, uh, brutalizes Rick Grimes, the main character of The Walking Dead, and Michonne especially. So he also behaves in an unhinged manner most of the time. But he's got this cunning mind, so it's it's a bit of a juxtaposition there. But this makes him very unpredictable, very formidable. And the fact that he has this uh, swath of cult-like followers, but also there's the, the other side of the contingent where most of his far, followers are children and women and, and the elderly who fear for their very existence uh, while being lorded over by this um, this mega maniacal, this megalomaniac, really. So uh, it's a terrifying look into the psyche of the survivors when they finally go face to face with him. And then you've still got the monstrousness of the undead horror, which is walking the countryside to deal with. And in fact, the governor does stage these gladiatorial bouts featuring uh, zombies. So he's kind of like this version of Caligula, post-apocalyptic Roman Emperor Caligula, I would say. All right, so let's get to number two on the list. And this is from the Doom Patrol comics. I was scared out of my mind when I first read about, read this character. And this is The Candlemaker, of course, created by Grant Morrison. A fantastic character. And the way, you know, he is portrayed in the series... It's just truly, truly um, terrifying. Uh, this giant sort of creature with these massive bat-like wings and this candelabra of melted candles on his head. No mouth. His mouth is almost Cthulhu-esque, although it's not truly tentacles that surround it. It looks like a melted candle. And he, he comes from the mind of Dorothy Spinner, the... Well, is she a member of the Doom Patrol? I'd rather say she's a ward of uh, Niles Calder, the founder of the Doom Patrol, where he studies her powers. Um, if you watch the Doom Patrol TV show, you briefly saw the candle, uh, the candle maker, but they really botched his appearance there, I would say. It wasn't as frightening as the comics portray him out to be. So he's got these godlike powers, reality manipulation, um, 
and but he comes from this child's mind so uh the realm of nightmares really and a child's nightmares is especially frightening i'm sure you'd all agree so here's my number two the candle maker check out the blog post addendum where you'll see a lot of images from him scary as hell now we get to my number one my favorite villain in comics and also the most terrifying and this is dr anton arcane anton arcane from the swamp thing comics created by bernie wrightson and len ween way back in the 70s and then fleshed out by alan moore and steve Bissett and john totalbin and rick veach i i guess uh, but also let's not forget tom yates and marty pascal who also had a hand in crafting a truly terrible terrifying character not that bernie and um len didn't do a good job the first time around when they created him but back then in the 70s in the first volume of swamp thing he was an old man he was decrepit uh, decrepit he wasn't really a physical threat to the swamp thing although later he would become one um essentially he craves immortality he's the sorcerer slash alchemist slash would be scientist uh thaumaturge who wants the swamp thing's body for his own and uh, in order to be immortal and then when that doesn't work out he's killed although his unmen who are these grotesque little pseudo uh living creatures he creates from proto matter they sort of save him by putting his mind transferring it into an unman body this monstrous lopsided uh shapeless thing and then that's when he becomes truly truly terrifying and then later on he returns in various forms he even returns from hell uh, to plague the swamp thing and i think the ultimate terror uh when we talk arcane is when he eventually uh he subsumed the body of matt cable uh the husband of abby cable swamp thing's love interest and matt possesses these psionic powers capable of manipulating reality and uh while in a car crash anton arcane of course as in the form of a little fly makes a deal with matt and he crawls into matt's mouth and um heals him with his own psionic powers but then takes over matt's mind and proceeds to reshape the swamp and to terrorize his niece abby cable in horrific ways and then also all to get revenge on his enemy the swamp thing and the way he's rendered by steve Bissett and john totalbin is just upsetting unsettling it's truly a, a study in terror so uh, check out the images and you'll see what i mean if you haven't yet so that's it those that's the character that really really frightened me as a kid and still manages to do so to this day so what did you think of my list constant listeners let me know in the comments or by sending me a message to contact at darklongbox.com that's our email address contact at darklongbox.com if you want you can even include your own list of terrifying comic book characters if you want really i'll read it on the show and we'll discuss it all right we're going to take a little bit of a break and after that we'll be back with 
the cineplex of terror, so don't go away. In every neighborhood, there is one house that adults whisper about and children cross the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Something's in there. We gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. What goes on in this house is a sin. But what goes on under the stairs is a nightmare. Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. All right, we're back with the Cineplex of Terror, where we dive deep into the abyss of horror and sci-fi cinema. Uh, Usually we unearth treasures uh, that are familiar to most listeners, but we give our own spin on these uh, fright film favorites. But today we're prying open a creaking door to delve into the basement containing a cult classic, a film I think that embodies the essence of a kind of socio-political allegory. Um, but it's wrapped in a grotesque and eerie package, of course. And this is the film that we're discussing today, Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. Now, you might know Wes Craven from, of course, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, Scream. Uh, He's a legend. Um, But he directed this overlooked gem, The People Under the Stairs, in 1991. Uh, The cast features Brandon Adams as the protagonist, uh, Everett McGill, uh, Wendy Roby, A.J. Langer, Uh, And the film takes us on a nightmarish journey into the heart of urban decay and uh, societal injustice. So that's the rough summary there. Um, But let's descend even deeper into this narrative. Why don't we, listeners? Okay, so in the dark heart of the city, a young boy named Fool learns that his family faces eviction from their dilapidated apartment by sinister landlords. Um, their greed personified, of course, and driven by desperation and the promise of hidden treasure, Fool joins two adult burglars in infiltrating an eerie uh, ancient mansion <laughs> owned by these very nefarious landlords. Now, once inside, they quickly discover that the house is a labyrinth of horror, a grotesque sort of a mirror reflecting the twisted social norms of the time. Uh, The mansion itself is this living, breathing entity of terror, and the walls itself hide dark secrets. The floors conceal the wretched and uh, titular people under the stairs who are uh, children punished for their uh, sins, supposed sins, and forced to live in uh, darkness and squalor. So as Fool navigates this hellscape, he discovers the landlord's daughter, Alice, 
who has somehow remained innocent amongst all the depravity surrounding her. Uh, together they form an unlikely alliance uh, and they seek to outwit the malevolent forces that try to entrap them within this nightmarish uh, mansion. So the dark allegory of the people under the stairs kind of peels back the veneer of normalcy and exposes the horror underneath. And it's truly a study in terror, which is a term I overuse. <laughs> I should stop saying that, but it, it really is a masterclass in how to frighten people. It still frightens me, and I've watched it dozens of times by now. But it's not merely just a story of terror. It's, a, like I say, a grotesque reflection of the society of that time. Uh, despite its macabre trappings, it still holds up a mirror to the face of a system that breeds inequality and horror. And that's where the true terror lies, I think. So it's a must-watch. If you haven't seen it yet... And you might be asking yourself, why should I see it um, if I haven't convinced you yet? Um, I'll go on and say that, you know, the performances are quite compelling. Each character serves as a, a vital piece in this grotesque yet insightful puzzle. Uh, visual storytelling is rich with gothic ambiance. Um, the film itself encapsulates this um, early 1990s aesthetic of showcasing uh, people wandering off into forbidden territory and then coming out the worst for it. Um, and it's great, got great set design, eerie cinematography, atmospheric soundtrack. It all works. So if you want to have a good time, uh, get your hands on the people under the stairs, wherever it's streaming. I'm not sure where you would find it, but it's out there. It's, it's, a very popular choice during the Halloween season. You gotta watch it and then let me know what you thought. Hell, there might even be some of you out there who hate it. I happen to love it. So tell me why you disagree with me and then we'll get a conversation going. I don't mind. So uh, that's it for this segment of the Cineplex of Terror. Um, and remember to send me a message at contact at darklongbox.com with your thoughts. And we'll talk about it some more on the next episode. But for now, we're heading off into our final segment, which is called, of course, The Book Nook of Doom. All right, today on The Book Nook of Doom, we venture beyond the pages of comic books and into the realm of the fantastic. Maybe I should say into the realm of science fantasy and science fiction because we're going to be looking at the psychedelic realms and cosmic visions that were the order of the day in the 1970s. Um, and our companion on this journey will be the book that we're spotlighting today. And this is a book by Adam Rowe. You might know him from the fantastic blo Tumblr blog, uh, Sci-fi art from the 1970s. I think it's just called 70scifiart.tumblr.com. And this is a book he recently published called Worlds Beyond Time, Sci-Fi Art of the 1970s. Um, it's a fantastic work. It's an art book filled with all the, the greatest cover artists that you can imagine from that era. 
Um, but let's set the stage a bit. You know, the 70s um, featured all these fantastic uh, artists who uh, started doing cover art for paperback publications. And Adam, of course, obsessed with this, has spent the last 10 years or more chronicling this on his blog, 70s Sci-Fi Art, and now he's put it into a book for us to enjoy. So as you leave through the pages of this book, which I bought about probably a month ago or so, I think it came out in July, though, of this year, of 2023, uh, but you'll find the prominent artists of the era, um, names like Chris Foss, Peter Elson, Tim White, uh, I could go through the whole list for you, which I've got gotten here in my notes. Let me see. Um, okay. We have folks like Richard M. Powers, uh, Paul Kirshner, Douglas Chaffee, Gary Viskupic, uh, Leo and Diane Dillon, uh, Sid Mead, Chris Foss, uh, which I mentioned before, Stuart Cowley, uh, John Berkey, Bob Eggleton. Uh, God, there's a lot of legends in here. There's uh, Vincent DeFate. John Schoner, uh, Dean Ellis, Angus McKee, David A. Hardy, Robert McCall, Jeffrey Catherine Jones, uh, Paul Lur, Paul Alson, Mike Hinge, Robert Tinney, uh, Frank Kelly Frias, Chris Moore. You've got uh, Wayne Barlow. Uh, then you have, of course, the list of fantasy artists. Uh, Frank Vazetta, Boris Vallejo, Rodney Matthews, uh, Michael Whelan, Richard Hescox. Don Mates, uh, Clyde Colwell, uh, and then uh, there, there are fantastic chapters and chapter headings, in fact, in this book. I'll read some to you as well. Um, we've got the abstract, surreal and otherworldly, and then chapter two, spaceships, vehicles, and megastructures, and then you've got sci-fi cities and landscapes, and then planets, explorers, and space travel, life in the future, and plants, animals, and alien life, and finally the fantasy realms, cryptozoology, and the paranormal to round it off. Stunning art. you got to pick it up if you haven't yet. If you love sci-fi art, do it. Get it. And if you want to support the Longbox of Darkness, why not go to our supplemental post um, at darklongbox.com where we have a link to purchase the title, and you'll be helping out the Longbox of Darkness by doing that. We're an Amazon affiliate. And we would appreciate that. But if not, you know, purchase it any way you can. Uh, you won't be disappointed. This is a book that every fan of horror, sci-fi, and popular culture needs to have on their shelf or on their Kindle. All right, so that wraps up our brief, but I hope compelling segment, The Book Nook of Doom, for this week. So... We'll end the episode today, listeners, by thanking uh, you all for joining me once again. Uh, Halloween is edging closer, so I've got an uh, episode planned for Halloween, which would be uh, longer than this one I've released today. But I hope you got your time's worth out of what you did absorb today through the Long Box of Darkness's podcast. Um, if you haven't, though... Uh, Check out what we have going on at the Longbox of Darkness uh, blog, which is at darklongbox.com. We've got lots of uh, blog posts there, uh, similar to what we've been talking about on the podcast. And um, please subscribe to the blog as well. We've got 
recently had 666 subscribers. <laughs> very infernal, very satanic, demonic even, but um, I'd like to, you know, go beyond that number. So <laughs> you don't have to keep that near perfect number there. Just uh, if you if you want to subscribe to the blog, and we've also got a newsletter. So if you do subscribe, the newsletter will be sent to you on a monthly basis, and that newsletter features lots of horror news, uh, horror art, uh, horror posts, uh, quotes, lots of great images over there. Uh, and then I also just want to uh, thank uh, Buzzsprout, which is where I'm hosting the podcast through at the moment. Uh, I've stopped hosting through. Um, Spotify uh, for podcasters and also Podbean. Um, I've moved the podcast to a new uh, service provider. Buzzsprout is great. They incorporate lots of uh, benefits and features. And if you're a podcaster and you want to check out Buzzsprout, you can do so by clicking the link on the podcast supplemental post or in the show notes description, you'll get a $20 credit for signing up through the long box of darkness's affiliate link there so much appreciated there folks and if you want follow me on social media i'm at dark Longbox on uh, x on instagram on all the socials really and you can also send me direct messages through x i don't mind i'll feature that as comments on the show but for now um thanks again for taking this journey with me through the shadowy corridors of the terrifying and the macabre and I'll see you on the next episode. Until that time, stay spooky, folks, and pleasant screams. This is Herman, signing off. Bye-bye.